Well, I just want to say happy Sunday to everyone joining us today. Happy Sunday to you joining us here in person. Happy Sunday to all of you joining us online at home. I know there's a few people with some sick kids and uh, checking in online. So we're so grateful to have our online crowd joining with us every week. Hi, Mom. I always like to say that. Uh, let me also wish you happy anniversary. Yeah, this is our one-year anniversary today. Yeah, we made it. Congratulations. It's so great. You know, in some regards, it just seems like the time has flown by so fast, hasn't it? Like it's gone by so fast, and at the same time, it feels like it's been forever at the same time, in a good way. At least on my end. I don't know how it has been for you. But it's amazing how that happens, right? So fast and a long time uh, at the same time. You know, Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. I mean, all your leaders are accountable to God for the way they lead you, and you're accountable for the way that you respond to your leadership. And this is what Hebrews uh, says, give them reason to do this with joy and not sorrow. Well, I can tell you one year in that it is such a joy to be your pastor. It's such a joy to lead you, to work alongside of you. It's such a joy getting to know you. And, uh, you know, I'm still meeting people all the time. The people are like, we wanted to give you a chance to settle in before we, you know, kind of came in. It's been a year, people, okay? So feel free to come up and meet me. Let's get to know each other uh, even better. It's, it's such a joy to serve you. So happy Sunday. Happy anniversary. There's one more other thing I wanted to say to you. Uh, what was it? Merry Christmas! Yes. Now, some of you have been celebrating since November 1st. I know that. Some of you have been dragging your feet. You're kind of like, you're not there yet. But I looked on the church calendar, and today is the first day of Advent. So it's on, people. Christmas is here. The season has arrived. Turn to the person behind you. Turn around right behind you and say, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. All right. Now, in case you can't tell, Christmas is by far my favorite holiday. You know, I was going to say time of year, but like that's, that's the summer. I'm a total beach bum. Time of year is summer, but holiday is Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. I love, you know, the nostalgia and the sentiment. I love all the decor. I love the family time. I love the Christmas baking, bring it on. Holly did some baking last night. Yeah, I received that gift of Christmas baking, and uh, I'll, I'll worry about that in January. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I love what Christmas stands for spiritually. That's a really important part of it. Uh, I love everything about Christmas, uh, except for one thing, and that's the glitter. I want to let you know, Pastor Holly was doing the, de the decorations up here. She's wrapping these gifts along with some other people. Uh, glitter everywhere. I don't know why glitter needs to be a part of Christmas, but I love everything else. You know, I recognize that we just all celebrate Christmas with varying degrees of enthusiasm, right? Some people, you're like me, you're just like, yeah, I'm all in it. Christmas, bring it on. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm kind of chill about it. Like, it's like, you know, a little bit more subdued. This is how big I'm into it. I was looking to settle down and get married, and I scoured the earth, and I found a woman whose name is Holly. <laughs> and her middle name is Noel. 
She is a Christmas Eve baby. That's how into Christmas I am. I went and found a wife who loves Christmas just as much as I do. Well, I know Christmas comes with all its traditions. At the base household, we have some big Christmas traditions. And uh, it went out with me finding the Christmas tree by myself yesterday because no one else wants to go with me anymore because I'm too particular about the tree and it takes too long to find the tree. So, so that, that tradition's kind of gone by the wayside. But we have a lot of traditions. Now, one of the things I get to do as a pastor, which is really amazing, is I get to officiate weddings. And when I'm asked to officiate a wedding, uh, one of the things I always tell the couple is that I am more concerned. I love your day. Your day is going to be beautiful. It's going to be awesome. We'll make it as best as we can. But what is more priority to me is your marriage over your wedding. And so what I make every couple do is they have to come and do pre-marriage coaching with me, usually four or five sessions. And we talk about preparing ourselves for the marriage beyond the wedding. And one of the questions I love as a conversation starter is uh, what traditions did your family have that you want to bring into your uh, family and which ones do you want to change, right? what, What family traditions have you kept and which ones have you changed. Well, like I said, we have a lot of established traditions, you know, especially around gift giving at our house around Christmas. So uh, every Christmas Eve, the kids are allowed to open one gift. So Christmas Eve, you're allowed to open one gift. And uh, it was only a couple years ago that they clued in that gift is always pajamas, right? It was a couple years before they figured it out. I wonder what it is. It's your Christmas jammies. Surprise. And then Christmas Day, we get up. But here's the thing. This is how it goes at our house. No one's allowed to open stockings until everyone's up. Everyone has to be up together. And parents, mom and dad need to have a coffee in hand. It's a rule at our house. Now my kids are old enough to make the coffee before I even get up. It's amazing. You should try it. So we open our stockings, and then we sit around and we read the Christmas story together, and we pray, and then we open the gifts one by one so we can all see what everyone got, and then we eat breakfast. That's our tradition at our house. And so this week I asked the kids, you know, that question that I asked the, the, the uh, engaged couples, what of our traditions do you love, and which ones would you change? And it was easy for them, uh, one of them in particular, to decide what one they wanted to change. And what they wanted to change is that we, uh, when I have my own family, we're not going to get up so early. We're not going to get up so early. And this is what they said. In fact, I'm going to let the kids open their stockings without me so that I could sleep in. That's what they said they would change about the tradition. Now, here's what they don't know that I know as a parent, that you know as a parent, is that when you put all that time and all that money and all that thought into your kids' gifts, you want to be there, don't you? Right? You want to be there to see them open those gifts and see the joy on their face. And so, uh, as kids, it's about getting the gifts. As adults, it's about giving the gifts. And we love to see the joy on people's face. Now, I told you I love Christmas. I, I think Holly might, she might have me beat, but just like, just a tiny bit, right? And uh, she loves to give gifts. And when we were first married, uh, she, you know, I told you that we opened the gifts before breakfast, right? Well, that's something that's changed because when I was growing up, mom and dad, we always opened the gifts after breakfast, because my parents really wanted to prolong the agony uh, of making us wait. We'd open our stockings, and then mom would make breakfast, and then we would open gifts after that. That had to change, because my wife, is so she loves gift giving so much, that when we were first married, she'd come home from the mall and say, hey, do you want to see what I got you? 
And I was saying, no, I don't want to know. And so I couldn't delay her anymore. So now we open the gifts before breakfast. I wonder, though, if that's how our Heavenly Father feels. I wonder how he felt that first Christmas as he gave us the gift of his son. How many know that God loves to give gifts? God loves to give gifts. He's really good at gift giving. Listen to some of these scriptures about God's giving of gifts. Psalm 84, 11 says, For the Lord God gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. God loves to give gifts. Matthew 7, 11 says, So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? God is a gift-giving God. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Ephesians 2, 8 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. And we all know John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. God loves giving gifts, and he's really good at it. Have you ever opened a gift and as you opened it, you just looked at the person who gave it to you, you and said, oh, you know me. You know me, right? So, so you open it up, you, you know what I love, you know what I need, you know, you just know me, right? It's not like a secret Santa gift, it's just random, it's like this was personalized for you. Now, when you open that gift, or, you know, sometimes, you know, my kids, well, they, they peek the corner open and they just kind of look at it and just see what it is, right? It's kind of, oh, oh, that's what it is, right? They want to they know, is this what I asked for? And once it's confirmed, right, they're like, oh, okay, cool, it's confirmed. And they don't just put it aside and go like, oh, I know what it is. I, I peeked, right? And they rip it open completely. Have you ever given someone a gift so great that as they're opening it, like you have to explain it to them? You're like, like, like no, there's more. Like it's not just what you see, right? Like let me tell you all the things that it comes with bonus features. You know, this is the deluxe version. Have you ever had to like, you know, explain your gift to someone? That's how God is with us. He wants us to peel back the gift wrap and reveal the gift he's given us fully for all to see. Christmas and all its beautiful packaging and wonder and mystery still needs us to unwrap it, to discover and experience the gift of God that lies under all the layers of festivity. You know, Luke 2.12 says this, this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Jesus today is wrapped in all the festivities of our holidays. He was wrapped back then in the swaddling cloths. But what I want us to do over the next couple of weeks is to unwrap this gift of God that he's given us and, and see the, the various dimensions and the layers and the fullness. Jesus is the deluxe version of the gift of God. There's only one version, I guess, but, but he's the deluxe, the fullness that God wants to give us. And we don't want to leave any gift of God unopened. Amen. So we're kicking off our series today called Christmas Unwrapped. And in this series, we're going to be looking at the different facets and expressions of Jesus as we see throughout the Christmas story and how the different individuals received Jesus. So if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 1 uh, today. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Let's read together. 
In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Now Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. If I do this, that means you've got to participate. <laughs> son. And you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son. of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever and his kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. Jesus, I pray right now as we turn to your word, would you open our hearts as we've already prayed to receive the fullness of this word today in Jesus' name, amen. You know, I, I just want to pause and reflect on this passage for a minute. You know, if you've been in church any amount of time, you, you're familiar with the story, right? And, and the, the amazement, the wonder, the awe of it, we're like, okay, you know, virgin birth. Okay, yeah, got it. You know, pro proclamation of angel, angelic appearance. Okay, got it. You know, like, you know, all kinds of craziness and wildness going on in the story. And I mean, just kind of read it over and we're like, oh yeah, you know, cool. You know, I, I, I'm familiar with this. Uh, so we have the angels, you have the virgin birth. But one of the wildest parts of the story is that what is being proclaimed is the coming of the Son of God. That's, that's off the charts. The, the Son of God. This angelic proclamation is the fulfillment of over 700 years of prophecy. 700 years before this, uh, those who were Jewish followers and religious leaders, they knew Isaiah 9 that said, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Thank you for the enthusiasm. It's getting even better over here. So in this, the first week of our Unwrapped series, I want to unpack and unwrap God's gift to us found in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You know, God revealed himself as a son in history, not just as a form of humility. We look at that baby in the manger and we think of humble beginnings and we see of God becoming flesh and living among us. But there's significance to coming as a son. The son shows us acceptance and belonging in the kingdom and in the family of God. I want us to go, and we're gonna read a little bit more scripture from a little bit further on in the New Testament, in Galatians chapter six. And in Galatians, oh, sorry, Galatians three, I mean. In Galatians three, Paul's gonna reference the Christmas story, and he's gonna unpack a little bit of its significance for us. Galatians chapter three, verse 26, Paul's gonna unpack the significance of not just Jesus Christ being born of a virgin, but the fact that Jesus is born a son. Galatians 3, 26 says this, says, you all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. 
Now, first off, we need to understand that as Paul's talking here, he's not just talking to the men of the church. He's not just talking to the men believers. He's talking to the whole family and saying, you are all sons. That's going to be significant in just a moment. You know, Paul's writing, yeah, from a male-dominated, chauvinistic, patriarchal society. we got to know that. Uh, but what he's going to unpack here, some of our modern translations have changed the word sons to children. I understand they're using gender-inclusive language there. It's appropriate. But what we can't miss, though, is that it's not just about being gender-inclusive. There's actually significance to what Paul's conveying in the word son and sonship. Let's unpack this together, all right? And calling all of us sons, he's establishing that God chooses all all of us, to be full participants in the family of God. Okay, let's keep reading a little bit in verse 28. It says, There's neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. When the time had fully come, God sent his Born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. So it's significant what Paul is talking about here. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our heart, the spirit who calls out Abba Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a God has also made you an heir. Let's unpack this a little bit this morning. It's Advent, but you know, we're getting to Christmas, but are you ready to put your thinking caps on? Right? You're ready to dive into this? See, you gotta understand how revolutionary this statement is written in the ancient Near Eastern context, right? We talked about it being uh, patriarchal, uh, but in this time, sonship was much more important than it is today. Sonship has significance. Sonship, uh, the son was the person whose job it was to carry on the family name. The family name is important in these days. You know, it's still important today, right? But more our, our name, our family name is really about distinguishing us from other people, right? Where you just think of like, you know, which, which Peter are you talking about, right? You know, Peter Simon or Peter Gabriel? You know, which one, which one are you talking about? I don't know why those, that's like a rock band and a theologian. Those are the two guys, that's the two world that just came to mind. I don't know, right? But the family name is really what your family stood for. It's about carrying on the values and the beliefs uh, and the reputation of your family. The, the son's role was to propagate the family. Uh, the son is also the person whose job it was to carry on the family business, right? You don't survive in these days without a strong family. There's no government support system. You know, there's no uh, social uh, safety nets. Uh, economically and politically, you needed a strong family. And a strong family meant having a strong livelihood. And so the family business was important for the son to carry on. Now, here's the thing that we see through Scripture and through history, is that the firstborn son received additional responsibilities and privileges along with that. We see the firstborn son was given the birthright. The birthright uh, really meant that the firstborn son uh, was able to uh, have the responsibility of securing the future for the whole family. 
The, you know, when the father was away, it would be the firstborn son to step into that role of leadership and authority. When the father passed away, the firstborn son would take over leadership of the family. And, and as the inheritance was divided up amongst the sons, now it's important to know in this context, Old Testament context, women were seen more as property than children. They, were, they didn't receive inherit. The woman couldn't inherit property. And so they couldn't own the family estate. The estate was given through the sons. The only way a woman would receive an inheritance is if there wasn't a man in her family to receive it. That's how it worked in these days. And so as Paul's coming in here and he's saying, you are all now sons. You are all now recipients of the inheritance that God has for you. Sonship is significant here. The birthright was huge. For the oldest son, it came with this position of authority. Uh, you ranked highest after the father. Like I said, in the father's absence, uh, you were the one who would lead the family. It came with monetary responsibility. As the inheritance was divided up, the firstborn would be given the double portion a double portion, double honor, double portion. And with that, the responsibility of maintaining the welfare and, uh, of the rest of the family. So understanding sonship is critical to understand. That's why it says here that Jesus Christ was born as the son of God and why it's revolutionary for Paul to address the whole congregation and say, now you all are sons of God. So I know we try to make the language gender inclusive, but we miss a portion uh, when we say children of God, that we miss that at this time, Paul's actually deviating from cultural norms and saying there's something different in the kingdom of God where we are all accepted and we are all full participants in the family. Contrast this with other religions. You know, at the time, the gods were seen as kings and, and humanity were their subjects, their slaves, you know, bent on serving the whims and the needs of the gods. You see that in Greek and Roman culture. God is saying here, I'm not just a king and you're not just my subjects. He says, I am your father and you are my sons. And if you are my sons, you're also my heirs, he says. You know, we come, sometimes people come to the scriptures and they say, well, why bother with these ancient texts? You know, these ancient stories written from patriarchal times, uh, you know, these, these you know, uh, stories based with, uh, you know, gender discrimination. And, and, and I, I can't deny, as you look through the Old Testament, you, you see these layers of society. But as you read through the New Testament and as history progresses, you see that God is peeling back those layers, peeling back those layers. And he, so what Paul is saying is that men and women, when you are Christians, believers, children in the family of God, there's no hierarchy, there's no ranking, there's no social order. He says you're full participants, heirs and sons in the family of God. How many know that the Holy Spirit doesn't discriminate based on gender? In fact, Acts actually says in the last days, I'll pour my spirit out on all flesh, Right? Your young men and your women and your old men and your old women, they're going to be moving by the power of the Spirit. 
Now, I know that there's some churches that teach that women shouldn't be preaching and teaching. And uh, if you've been around here any length of time, uh, you know that we don't align that way. Uh, how do you know we had a great word last week from Pastor Kirsten? You know, and, and so I know that they base their interpretation on a few select scriptures. But as I read the whole of scripture, and especially Paul's teaching here, I, I just can't reconcile that teaching based on what Paul is saying here. See, God looks at males and females and says, I love you so much. You all have full access to the things of God. You all have full access to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. You all have full access to the gifts of God. The, the kingdom of God, the new heaven and the new earth are yours. You are my heirs. And so that's how we land as a Pentecostal church. And I'd love to talk more about that with you if you are ever questioning that or maybe you're not quite sure uh, why we land that way or, or whatnot. But, but we see here that Paul, as he's unpacking Christmas, he's saying, for unto us a son is born. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. It's, it's significant what he's saying. He's saying that there's a firstborn son and that we are all sons in the family of God. It's amazing. You know, as we look at this sonship, there's three other gifts that come alongside of it that I think we really need a lot at this time, at this Christmas time. The first one is grace. The second one is faith. And the third one is peace. How many know we need grace and faith and peace more than ever, especially right now? Let me unpack this for you a bit. Grace is found in understanding God's acceptance of me. When I know that I'm accepted by God, I receive God's grace. Paul's recalibrating the people's ideas about God's acceptance in this passage. But he's saying it's not about one person over another. It's not about hierarchy. He is saying there is one, there is a firstborn who is priority in the family of God, but under him we are all sons. And so we are all accepted. We don't have to earn acceptance. And that's why sonship is so important. I shared with you uh, about a year ago when I first got to know you a little bit, maybe you weren't here then, uh, but I have the privilege of being adopted. I'm adopted. At 10 days old, my parents picked me up at the hospital and took me home. And I was adopted, but here's what did not happen when I became adopted. I didn't have to earn adoption, right? I didn't have to earn adoption. I didn't have to, to merit it somehow. I didn't have to, to earn my way through adoption or, or, or you know, convincing. Adoption is an instantaneous legal change. Now, here's something that you may or not know. I can't remember if I shared this or not. Jer Jeremiah, that's my name. It wasn't my first name. My first name actually is Michael. <laughs> Nobody really knows that. But for 10 days, I was Michael. But then I stood before a judge in a court, and the judge finalized all the paperwork, and he says, you are now adopted. You belong to Russell and Betty, and we're changing your name to Jeremiah. How many know that I didn't earn that? You know, that wasn't something I had to convince them to do. When the judge says, it's done, it's done. That's how it is with the sonship of God. God confers his adoption on us, his children. You are conferred the sonship of God. It is immediate. It's binding. God accepts you no matter what you've done, no matter 
where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what ethnicity you are, no matter what gender you are, God confers sonship on you. And you don't need to earn it. You don't need, it's none of that. And so when I understand that, God says you freely come and receive this gift of adoption. If you choose to accept through faith in Jesus Christ, that it is conferred on you. You don't have to earn it. How do I know that? That's just a gift of grace of God. God's a loving father, and he loves to give us good gifts. He accepts us no matter what we've done. Now, that doesn't mean he affirms every choice we make. How do I know there's a difference between acceptance and affirmation? God doesn't affirm everything we do. He accepts us, but then he leads us away from our desires that hurt us and hurt others. The Bible says there's a transformation that happens. We are justified. We're adopted in Christ. It's a legal position that we have. We don't need to earn, but then there's a sanctification process. That's the change and the transition that God wants us to make to be more like him and more like his purpose for our lives. Uh, here's the point. Grace is opposite of earning. You can't earn sonship. It's the gift of God. Romans 8, 29 says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. God chooses you, and he wants to give you the gift of being in relationship, of sonship with him. You know, if we could really understand that, that's not about earning it or deserving it, how much grace would that fill our lives with this Christmas season, eh? Here's the second thing. As I understand that God accepts me, my response to God's grace is my faith. My faith is my acceptance of God's grace. I'm saying, yeah, I'm responding to your generous gift by putting my faith and trust in you. Faith is the response we have to the generous gift that God has given us. You know, to know that I can take whatever I'm concerned about to the Father, 1 John 5 says, I've written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. And we're confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our request, he also knows that he will give us what we ask for. How many know that children have access to their parents that no one else has, right? How many know that I work during the week, and on Mondays, I take the day off. And, you know, you might not know, know it's Monday, but how many know on my day off, if you call me or email me, I may or may not respond to you? Uh, it's true. I might not respond to you on a Monday. I might look at the phone and go, hey, it's, it's Pastor Ralph calling. And in that moment, I'm going to think, do I want to accept it or not? <laughs> and sometimes I choose not to. How many know that if my children call me, it's a different response? They get a direct line to dad. And even on my day off, my day off is not a day off from them. In fact, most of the time, my day off is to spend more time with them, right? You want to be available, right? I just love it. It doesn't matter if you're the, your dad's the king or the, the president or the prime minister. Or the pre, it doesn't matter the status. If your dad is, is uh, you know, whoever he is, you have access to him like nobody else has. You could crawl up on his lap. 
Well, that'd be kind of weird. My kids are getting big, but if they want to, please, none of you crawl on my lap. But if my kids want to do that, like, they'll have access to me differently than anyone else. Right? There's no days off because you have access. And that's what God is saying to you. As your father, you're my children, you're my sons. You have access to me fully. Our faith is that assurance that we have that access to God. My kids don't call me and go, I wonder if he's going to pick up. Right? I wonder if he's going to screen his call. Maybe he's going to put me through to voicemail. Right? You never think that about your parents. Right? You're assured. God says that we are the children of God. And so we can have faith, we have grace, and lastly, we have peace. Peace is really the manifestation. When you're living in this grace and you're living in this faith, peace is the natural outflow of your life. Galatians 4, we read it, it says, because we're the sons of God, God sent the spirit of his son into our heart, the spirit who cries out, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. You know, this is the peace in the heart that everyone in our world is really looking for. You know, when we look at the lack of peace, it's really people, you know, we talk about father wounds and we talk about a generation, you know, is fatherless and certain, really our whole world has a father wound and a father void that they're trying to fill. And it's this fatherhood of God that our world is looking for, this acceptance uh, that they were created for. See, see, peace comes when I can say, I accept myself the way God sees me. I accept my circumstances and my situation the way God sees it, right? That's really what peace is. When you meet a Christian who's really at peace with themselves and the world, they've come to have this peace of who they are in Christ, and have a piece of their situation that whatever I'm going through, God is good and he's going through it with me. You know, there's this peace that passes understanding because it's rooted in being the son and the heir and the kingdom and the family of God. And here's what happens when you're at peace with yourself and you're at peace with God. You become at peace with others. I'm at peace with how God sees me. I'm at peace with the circumstances I'm in. I'm at peace with others the way God sees them. You know, as we look at this adoption and this acceptance, this gift of God, this sonship that God confers on us, God's really showing us a picture of how he uh, invites and accepts people into his family. And he's modeling it for us about how we should, you know, not just spiritually, but even physically be accepting of people into our family. I want you to listen to this really uh, amazing quote that I was reading. It's from uh, U.S. Surgeon General. So you know, if you've ever smoked, you, you get the little label on the back of the cigarettes. It's from the, the U.S. Surgeon General, right? Smoking is bad for you. Well, that's from this guy. Uh, the Surgeon General, his name is um, uh, Vivek Murthy. And, and this is what he says. He's talking about being in the most connected age of all times, we're more connected than we've ever been in civilization. Listen to what he says about the rates of loneliness that have doubled since the 1980s. Listen to what he says. He says, loneliness and weak social connections are associated with a reduction in lifespan similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Think about that for a minute. Being lonely reduces your lifespan similar to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And it's even greater than that associated with obesity. 
We haven't focused nearly as much effort on strengthening connections between people as we have on curbing tobacco use or obesity. Loneliness is also associated with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, depression, and anxiety. That's from the U.S. Surgeon General. That's a pretty credible source. Loneliness as a pandemic and a disease of our culture today. And as we're unpacking Christmas and we're looking at the sonship of God, God inviting us into family, into a relationship with him, what better place? You know, we talk about what is the relevance of the church in the modern world. The modern world is lonely. The modern world is looking for connection. The modern world is looking for family. And who fits that best? than the, the, the grace and the love of Jesus Christ as expressed through his people, the body of Christ. Social isolation is one of the biggest predictors of depression, especially during the holidays. You know, as people isolate, you know, they feel more acutely and it causes them sometimes to withdraw even more, which uh, exacerbates the symptoms as everyone else is spending time with family and friends, I, I want to encourage you today. You know, in Western Christianity especially, we think of our Christian faith as individualistic, don't we? We talk about a personal relationship with Jesus. You know, we talk about a private faith. This is, this is my relationship. It's just me and Jesus. That's all that matters. But as we look here at the story, as we look at Jesus, Unto you a child is born. Unto you a son is given. We see that God is expanding family. He's expanding it through scripture. He's including men and women. He's including boys and girls. He's including grandmas and grandpas to be the family of God. And as we are the family of God, he's modeling for us how to open our arms wide to the world around us and invite them to be part of the family. It starts physically, doesn't it? It doesn't just start spiritually. It starts with saying, hey, let's be in relationship together. I wonder this Christmas, if we have this idea of sonship in our minds, not just for ourselves, we, we need to be rooted in knowing that we are the sons and daughters, the sons of God. But as we look about that and we say, hey, what does God want to do in the world around me? He wants to call people from places of loneliness. He wants to invite them into his family. It starts with you and I, inviting them into our families, getting to know them, getting to have those opportunities. Pastor Ralph and Pastor Kirsten preached last two weeks so wonderfully on evangelism, earning the right, earning the privilege to, to share in to their lives with spiritual uh, authority. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'd love to give you the opportunity right now if you haven't yet received God's gift, Bible says that it's a gift freely given and freely received. All we need to do is put our faith in God as the generous gift giver. And say, God, I receive this gift of your son. I put my faith and my trust in Jesus. I turn from leading my own life and I turn to you, my Lord and Savior. I want to let you lead my life. We're going to unpack other elements of this gift over the next few weeks, but today... Jesus wants to confer, confer sonship. He wants to adopt you. He's already done up the paperwork. He's just saying, will you willingly receive this gift that I've given to you? All we need to do is simply say, Jesus, I receive that gift. I repent, turning, living my life for myself. 
I want the fullness of what you have for me. Is there anyone in this place this morning on this first Sunday of Advent, you say, Pastor Jared, I just want to start this Christmas season on a fresh slate. I, I want to give my life to Jesus today. Maybe it's the first time you're making that decision. Maybe it's the first time in a long time, uh, but you want to make that decision. Anyone today, you just, yeah, thank you. In the back, anyone else? Just hold your hand up just real quick so I can see it. I promise I won't embarrass you, but I'd love to pray with you. Yeah, thank you. Amen. Maybe you're here and you're saying, you know what, Pastor Jer, I've been living for Jesus, but not really recognizing fully the wonderful gift that sonship confers on me. God's grace is given to you freely. The sons of God, the inheritance of God, heirs in partnership with Jesus Christ. The Bible says all that belongs to Christ is available to you. That's an amazing place to be. A gift so freely given and undeserved. Jesus, I prayed this morning, God, for those that have raised their hand today, signifying, God, that they want to follow you. I pray, Jesus, that right now they would be assured of the, their decision, or they'd be assured of your love and your grace, that they would be assured of your transformation power at work in their life today. For those of us that have been serving you for a while, Lord God, I pray that we would never lose the wonder of this gift, Lord, so generously given to us. For those of us that are still questioning, still trying to discover, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal to us, Lord, the truth of these matters, Lord God. Reveal to us your, your word, we pray in Jesus' name. And I pray as we go from this place today, Lord God, that we would be so generous in our lives because we've been given generous gifts from you, that we would freely give what you've freely given to us, Lord, that we would find opportunity to engage others in our family. Lord, to invite them to earn the, the principle of permission, as Pastor Ralph was saying. Lord, to share our faith and the hope that we have in you with them. Lord, let this not just be another Christmas season that comes and goes. Lord God, I pray as we unwrap it fully, God, that we would be filled again with the joy and the wonder of the gift you've given us in Jesus Christ. Go with us, we pray, in Jesus' name.